0: Welcome to the Pint Glass Football Podcast.
1: This is Pint Glass Football drink beer, talk football. If you're new to the show, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast, and follow on social media, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at PGF Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Fowler, and McKenzie Brewing is the official beer of Pint Glass Football. Follow them at McKenzie Brewing and McKinseybrewing.com. We are back with more in-depth NFL draft coverage like nobody else. Unfortunately, Tyrone is still unavailable, but hopefully he can rejoin. The show soon, but today I'm rolling solo PGF Nation, and I'm gonna give out my draft grades for the AFC North. And I have a special guest interview later in the show, so let's kick things off. I'm gonna start PGF Nation with the Pittsburgh Steelers in the first round with the 24th pick. They took Najee Harris, the running back out of Alabama. He's six foot one, two hundred and thirty two pounds. This guy is the most complete running back in this draft, and that's why he was the first running back selected he was the first running back on my draft board pretty high on this guy he's powerful but elusive he's fast but he doesn't have pull-away speed he doesn't have that home run hitting capabilities of a travis etn but he's got good speed very good speed and he's good in the open field he shows nice agility and good change of direction and a very low fumble percentage this is a guy who's gonna rarely put the ball on the ground he's a three down back he really worked hard to become a complete player at alabama and it's because he can catch out of the backfield and he's pretty good in pass protection as well you have have. have to love that about his game. Now, I question his longevity. I think that's one of the only red flags for his game. He had over 300 touches last season, and he's a very physical running back with a very physical style of play, a very violent runner who smashes defenders and doesn't really avoid contact. So you have to wonder about how long of a prime is a guy like Najee Harris gonna have, but he has nice burst and nice balance when hitting the hole. He doesn't always allow his blocks to develop. I think he could work on his patience, but overall, this is a really good player. Najee Harris was the consensus number one running back in this draft by most analysts, myself included, and the Steelers running game last year was the worst in the NFL, and it was a big reason that they failed down the stretch Najee Harris should come in and fix that problem immediately so this pick makes a lot of sense for the Pittsburgh Steelers in the second round with the 55th pick overall the Steelers took Pat Fryermuth the tight end from Penn State, he's six foot five, two 251 pounds. He's got prototypical NFL tight end size and athletic ability. A very complete player who can catch, he can pass, he can run block at a very high level. He's a rare tight end prospect who's a complete player. Most tight ends coming out in the draft nowadays, they're either really good blockers or they're really good pass catchers. It's rare to see a guy with his blend of size, athletic ability, and just all-around skill set. He's a really smooth route runner, especially down the seam. He's a guy that can break plays down the middle. I really like that about his game, but he's a powerful runner after the catch. He's got big, strong legs. He can really run guys over. He punishes defenders with a mean, stiff arm. When you watch his tape, it's fun to watch him because he just doesn't avoid contact. He's, he's going to use his size and just run guys over. Now, he showed that he can line up all over the field and have success. They used him outside, inside, on the line of scrimmage, and he was good just about everywhere at Penn State, a very versatile player. He was also a team captain with an awesome work ethic. His coaches really raved about that, so that's something you've gotta love as well. Now, he needs to work on his footwork. He's got very sloppy footwork, especially as a blocker. Now, he's a good blocker, but he's gonna have to work on that, but I think that's something with some NFL coaching, he can clean that up. He doesn't always take take advantage of his size. This is a guy, like I said, that's 6'5", 250. He should be able to dominate with his size, but sometimes he lets smaller defenders take advantage of him too much. And returning from a season-ending injury last year is also a bit of a red flag. There's a lot to like about Pat Fryermuth's game. He's a great locker room guy, and the Steelers haven't had an all-around talent at tight end like this type of player since Heath Miller. It's kind of been a revolving door of draft picks that haven't worked out, free agents that haven't really worked out. This is the guy that they think can come in and be their starting tight end for the next 10 years or more. When you look at this draft for the Steelers, Najee Harris is a big-time talent at running back, and I think he could become the workhorse back that they haven't had in Pittsburgh since Le'Veon Bell. My only issue with this pick is that they had bigger needs on the offensive line and the secondary. The running game was a mess, so I understand needing to get a guy like Najee Harris. It wasn't a terrible pick. They need to bring balance back to the Steelers' offense desperately. I think Najee Harris can do that not sure it was worth the first round pick though if you look at the tight end position Eric Ebron was a big disappointment last year he was a free agent they brought in he had six drops and he's really not a very good blocker so when you've got a guy like him who just kind of disappointed he's never really lived up to that first round billing but Pat Fryermuth could be a day one starter and I think at the very least he should be a red zone threat day one so I think it's a good value pick there I had him as the second best tight end in this class we know Kyle Pitts was a very very rare and special talent but Pat Fryermuth is just a very complete player and I think can make a big impact right away for the Pittsburgh Steelers offense I also love third rounder Kendrick Green from Illinois this kid is a beast man big big strong kid he might start at center day one there's reports coming out that he's really looked good in camp and could be getting that starting job right away and for a third round pick to possibly be a day one starter I think is great value by the Pittsburgh Steelers and getting outside linebacker Quincy Roche from Miami in the sixth round this was an absolute steal most people had him graded as a third round maybe fourth round pick at the latest to get a guy like that in the six i just think is a tremendous value pick by the pittsburgh steelers when you look at this, it's not an all-time Steelers draft, but I think it was a very solid draft, and all of their picks made a lot of sense, position-wise and what they were trying to do. My only knock is that I would have gone after some offensive linemen a little bit earlier in the draft, but I do understand what they were doing. All, Like I said, all these picks made a whole lot of sense. That's why I'm gonna give the Pittsburgh Steelers a B-plus for this draft. Moving on in the AFC North, this might be the deepest division in the entire NFL this season and a big reason why is the rise of the Cleveland Browns a team that's been bad for so long is finally starting to put it together they've got a really deep roster with a lot of talent they didn't have a whole bunch of pressing needs heading into this draft but one place where they desperately needed help was in the secondary and they addressed it by taking Greg Newsom, the cornerback out of Northwestern in the first round with the 26th overall pick. He's six feet tall, 192 pounds. This is a guy who only allowed a 31.6% completion rate in 2020. Very solid in coverage. He can play in multiple schemes. He can play off man, and he's good in press coverage as well. I think he could also excel in a cover three defensive scheme. He's a guy who's a very good wrap-up tackler, and he's good in run support, which I really like. I think that's an underrated trait by defensive backs is being able to wrap up and tackle and come up and play against the run. He's good in that regard when you watch his tape. And he's got quick feet, a very smooth backpedal. He's long and athletic. And he has ideal size for an outside NFL cornerback. When you watch his tape, he really drives and attacks the football with really good closing speed. The question mark for him is his durability. It's been a bit of a concern. He never played a full season of college football. It seems like he was always getting banged up from some injury. So to me, that's a little bit concerning. But overall, I love his attitude. I love his confidence that he plays with. And the physical tools are definitely there for Greg Newsom. Newsom climbed draft boards after a really great 2020 season and an impressive pro day workout. The Browns secondary, they dealt with a lot of injuries last year. And it was a big reason why they were one of the worst units in the entire NFL so when you look at this pick it made a lot of sense for Newsom to be available late in the first that's about where most people had him graded that's about where I expected him to go but it doesn't mean it's not a great pick and it makes a lot of sense for the Cleveland Browns so it was a good way to start this draft for the Browns in the second round, with the 52nd overall pick, the Browns selected Jeremiah Owusu Koromoa, the inside linebacker from Notre Dame. He's six foot one and a half, 221 pounds. He's explosive and athletic. I mean, this guy is a really really good athlete and he's a versatile defender with awesome range. He's got that sideline to sideline speed that you look for in any linebacker. He can cover tight ends. He can cover running backs. He's good against the run. He's a fast and physical player. He really likes to hit guys and get downhill and blow up running plays in the backfield. He's got awesome agility. He can really turn his hips and run. He's a guy that we've talked about on this podcast. He was a very highly rated player for me. This is a guy that I think is easily one of the best linebackers in this entire class. Now he's a little bit of a tweener as far as size, He's a guy that's either a big safety or a small linebacker. Now, I think he's going to play linebacker at the NFL level, and he's got the coverage skills and the agility and everything that you want for the position But he is a little bit undersized for a linebacker. He doesn't always take good angles when he's tracking the ball carrier. But this is a guy who was a top 25 player on my big board. And for the Browns to get him at pick 52 was just awesome value. This is a guy that most people had as a lock for the first round. And for him to slide and get him that late in this draft was just an awesome pick by the Cleveland Browns. Now, we found out post-draft by some of the analysts that we've had on this show that discussed that there was injury concerns with Owusu Koromoa, and that was a big reason why he slid in this draft. But make no mistake about it, this is a guy with big-time first-round talent, so to get him that late is just great value. On paper, the Browns crushed The first two picks, getting really high impact guys at positions of need With cornerback and linebacker. This was a defense that had a lot of issues and it was especially troubling at linebacker and in the secondary. My only red flag is that they both had injury concerns. When you're drafting two guys in the first and second round, your first two picks, and they both have injury problems or have dealt with injury problems, that's a little bit of a red flag. I think that's a little bit worrisome if you're a Cleveland Browns fan, but the talent is certainly there in both guys are potential day one starters and both were top 25 players on my big board hard to knock these picks by the cleveland browns i thought they did an excellent job with those first two picks which is where most of the grade comes from because like we've talked about these early picks are so much more important than your later ones you've got to hit these ones out of the park and i thought the browns did a tremendous job with that now i also like the selection of anthony schwartz he's a speedy wide receiver that i think can make an impact for the browns as well and i also like james hudson the offensive tackle they took in the fourth i thought it was a really good value pick this was just a great draft by the browns i'm gonna give them an a minus only because of the injury concerns of their top two picks otherwise this would have been an a or a plus draft for me great job by the cleveland browns all right, moving on to the Cincinnati Bengals with their first round pick, the fifth overall pick, they took Jamar Chase, the wide receiver out of LSU. He's six foot one, two hundred and eight pounds. This guy had big. Time production man he set a single season sec record for receiving yards and touchdowns in 2019 now he opted out of the 2020 season but last we saw jamar chase he was absolutely shredding sec defenses and he did it with great hands he has some of the best hands in this entire draft great ball skills he's a really good after the catch player he's elusive he knows how to get in the open field Field and turn small gains into big yards. He's also a very underrated blocker. When you watch his tape, he knows how to use his physical frame and make good blocks for guys downfield. I like that about his game. He can make plays at all three levels underneath the intermediate and the deep ball. Very complete wide receiver. Now, the knock on him would be that he only had one great year in college. It's a kind of a limited sample size. However, it was a tremendous year. His one great season at LSU was one. of the best seasons we've ever seen from a wide receiver so not gonna knock him too much for that but he also ran a very basic route tree at LSU he's gonna have to expand that and learn to run more routes at the next level but for a guy that's 6'1 208 pounds he has home run speed he can really pull away in the open field and this is a guy who high points the ball and dominates those 50-50 ball situations Jamar Chase was my number one wide receiver in this class and it's because he's a bigger stronger more physical wide receiver than Jalen Waddell or Devontae Smith but he still has that big playability so there's a lot to like about Jamar Chase in the second round the Bengals took Jackson Carmen, the offensive tackle out of Clemson. He's 6 foot 5, 317 pounds. He's got NFL size and upper body strength for an offensive tackle. He's got heavy, powerful hands and he really uses them well to help control defensive linemen. He's got good, not great reaction speed, but I'd say very solid, and he's got good agility for his size as well. Not elite, agility but he moves pretty well for a big guy he reads defenses at a high level this might be the best part about his game because he really knows when a stunt a twist or a blitz is coming and he knows more often than not and he's very good at reacting to those sorts of plays now the big knocks on him are his footwork this guy has really 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 terrible footwork he's sloppy and it's gonna need to be fixed it's something he's gonna have to work on immediately or he's gonna be exposed by NFL pass rushers he also struggled with his weight and his game shape at times while at Clemson. That's a red flag as well, because these big guys, they need to be in good game shape at the next level. If you're already having issues in college, that's concerning for me going into the NFL. And he also struggles in pass sets versus quick pass rushers. So when you look at Jackson Carmen, he has a lot of things you look for in an NFL offensive tackle, but not a starting offensive tackle. Some of his issues can be fixed with coaching, but I just don't see starting potential at tackle for Jackson Carmen. He's more than likely going to have to move to guard because he just doesn't have the athletic ability to play tackle at the next level. When you look at what the Bengals did in this draft, I was really high on Jamar Chase. Like I said, he was my number one receiver in this class, but it doesn't mean that I like this pick by the Bengals. They had a chance to draft a generational talent at offensive tackle in Panay Sewell out of Oregon, a position that they didn't, Desperately needed to fill their offensive line was atrocious, and you could have gotten a guy that was going to be an absolute game changer at that position to protect your franchise quarterback. But instead, you went with Jamar Chase, a wide receiver, a position that you don't nearly need as much. Now, I understand wanting to add a playmaker for Joe Burrow, I understand the LSU connection. It makes sense, but wide receivers are a dime a dozen this is a position group that is deep almost every year it seems like and it feels like every year that position group gets deeper and deeper they could have added a wide receiver in the second round or third round and probably still found really good value but you're not gonna get one of the best offensive linemen in 10 years in the second round. That is not going to happen. They had a chance to get a guy like that in Panay Sewell, and they really, really whiffed on this. So for me, as good as Jamar Chase is, this was one of the worst picks in the first round. Now, they did try to address the mistake by taking Jackson Carmen in the second round, but this is a guy, like I said, is probably going to have to move to guard, and it was a big reach in the second round. There were better tackles available. There were better offensive linemen available on the board when they took Carmen. And most people, myself included, had a third-round grade on Carmen. I even saw some analysts who had a fourth-round grade on Jackson Carmen. So this was a huge reach taking this guy in the second round. Now, I do like the pick of Joseph Asai, the defensive end from Texas. I thought it was a nice value in the third but when you look at this draft class as a whole you take three defensive ends and a defensive tackle and then a kicker in the fifth round I was not impressed at all with what the Cincinnati Bengals did not a fan of this draft and I'm going to give them a c-minus All right, moving on to the last team here in the AFC North, the Baltimore Ravens. With the first round with the 27th overall pick, they took Rashad Bateman, the wide receiver out of Minnesota. He's six feet tall, 190 pounds. He's got NFL size and top-end speed for what you're looking for in an outside wide receiver, and that's what Baltimore certainly needs. He's got awesome hands. He rarely drops a ball and he can make the highlight level grab look really easy. I also like that he runs nice, clean, crisp routes. A very polished route runner coming out of college and he's elusive and After the catch situations, he's got great instincts as far as off script. He really knows how to find his quarterback and come back to the ball and make big plays. Now, he did beat up on lesser competition, and he was average to below average versus better competition. That's a little bit of a red flag. And he has just an average burst off the line. Not a super explosive player. And too often when I watch his tape, he lets cornerbacks bully him. And for a guy his size, that's really unacceptable. He's got to play with a bigger, tougher demeanor. He's not much of a run blocker. But what I really like about him is he excels in RPO concepts, which really fits what the Ravens like to do, which really fits what the Ravens like to do perfectly bateman's size skill set hands and route running make him a high level prospect there's definitely a lot of boxes that this guy checks for an outside wide receiver at the next level he's great off script for a scrambling quarterback and an rpo system this pick makes a ton of sense because i think he's a great fit for what the baltimore ravens do offensively So just a few picks later, the Ravens in the first round with the 31st overall pick took Odafi Owe, the outside linebacker from Penn State. He's 6'5", 257 pounds. This is a guy with huge, huge upside. This is an athlete on the edge with eye popping speed. I'm talking crazy athletic. He ran a 4.39 40-yard dash. For a guy 6'5 and almost 260 pounds, that is crazy, crazy speed. A 4'3 type of 40 is someone who plays wide receiver or cornerback, not an edge rusher. So you cannot teach this kind of athleticism. It's a rare combination of size, speed, and natural athletic ability. Extremely explosive. I mean, he's got great bend around the edge. He's agile, and he converts speed to power, something that scouts and coaches are always looking for in defensive ends or outside linebackers who are pass rushers. And on tape, he just destroys tight ends. And this is a guy who's going to demand an offensive tackle to block him at the next level he has awesome agility very fluid hips he's twitchy quick i mean super super fast reaction speed the knocks on him is that he only had 20 games under his belt at penn state he's a very raw prospect he has a lot to learn about reading offenses he tends to bite hard on play action and ball fakes and his production it doesn't quite match his ability that we've seen from him and I think a big part of it is because he's slow at diagnosing run plays versus pass plays. He's not sure what he sees out there. And that's going to come with experience. And that's part of being a very raw player. But this guy has absolutely incredible athleticism with unreal combination of size and speed it is so rare to see a guy with these type of traits just sky high potential a guy that by year two or three could become an elite pass rusher The Ravens wide receivers had the fewest catches and the fewest yards in the entire NFL last season, so getting Rashad Bateman was a no-brainer. This pick made absolute sense. He's not a perfect prospect, but he should be an instant impact player who fits nicely into that Ravens offense. Odafi Owe is probably a rotational guy year one, but if he develops in the next few years, watch out because his physical ability is absolutely off the charts. I also like the fourth round pick, Tylon Wallace, the wide receiver from Oklahoma State. This was an absolute steal. I was shocked that he fell into the fourth round. This was just a great value pick by the Ravens, a very, very solid draft class by the Ravens, and I'm going to give them a B B+. So that is going to do it for the AFC North draft grades. All we've got left, PGF Nation, is the NFC North draft grades next week, and that is going to do it for our draft coverage. It's hard to believe. Leave. it's coming to an end but don't go anywhere because I've got a special guest coming up right now excited to be joined by Nick Farabaugh who covers the Pitt Panthers and Pittsburgh Steelers for PittsburghSportsNow.com he also is with
0: ProFootballNetwork.com Nick thanks for coming on the show yeah thanks for having me Brad this is uh really exciting I'm excited to talk some Pittsburgh football today uh, and have a good
1: time yeah, Nick, so what have you been working on recently? I know you wear a lot of hats. I know you cover the NFL draft, and and you cover the Pittsburgh teams as well. But what what have you been working on recently that PGF Nation needs to go check out?
0: Yeah, so, you know, other than just general beat writing on Pitt and the Steelers, uh, we have been working on a mock draft simulator over Pro Football Network. Really good. We already got our 2022 stuff out, rankings. So you can go run as far deep as seven rounds in that mock draft sim. You can do trades. It's free. So go check that out. We update that weekly rankings-wise and and team needs-wise. So we're constantly tweaking and adjusting it. It's a a really good product. That's
1: awesome. Yeah, we've had uh, several writers recently from Pro Football Network. Just really great, talented guys over there and excited to have you on as well. So you guys heard it. Go check out his stuff. I want to kick this thing off, Nick, with the Pitt Panthers. It wasn't Clemson. It was the Pitt Panthers who led the ACC with six players drafted this year. For someone who covers this program up close, talk about this group of players.
0: Yeah, you know, those group of players that got drafted this year, Patrick Jones, Rashad Weaver, Jalen Swyman, the D-line, specifically for the Pittsburgh Panthers, I mean, that's becoming a force. Charlie Partridge is one of the best D-line coaches in the NCAA, he pushes those guys really hard. They turn gems out like nothing. I think Patrick Jones Rashad Weaver were two-stars and low three-star guys. So they turn these guys out, and then they're getting more talented guys, and those guys are playing up to their abilities. So these are great high-character football players that are really very, very technically sound, and you can see that they are guys that are going to work day in and day out, bring a lot to the locker rooms that they're in. And then you also have guys like Jason Pinnock, DeMar Hamlin, that also were drafted this year um, on the back end of that defense and that secondary Pitt's defensive backs, always aggressive, always smart, always willing to tackle very, very, very nice for an NFL team to get. Now they're a little bit scheme specific, but those guys can absolutely mold themselves to whatever team that they get on. And then also Jimmy Morrissey, obviously with the Oakland Raiders, this guy was a big time, big time leader for the pit team. That O-line really just leaned on him and, and Pitt's O-line really is vocal in the leaders of that offense. So Pitt in general, they should turn out more and more NFL talent coming in the next few years. They have some guys there. And I think it's that that culture Pat Narduzzi has built around this program, this camaraderie between these guys and and really just the hardworking nature, the don't quit attitude that Pitt carries. I think that has churned out really good talents, even if Pitt's team success hasn't been up there as it should be.
1: Yeah, I think when you see a program like Ohio state or an Alabama or some of these blue blood programs that are getting all these four and five star recruits. And then of course they have a ton of guys get drafted. That's awesome. But you kind of expect that. But when you get guys that are those two and three star guys and they're getting drafted, I think that says a lot about the coaching staff and about the development of those players. So I think that's fantastic. What Pitt has going there. But I wanted to shift to the pro ranks here, Nick, and talk about the Steelers. The Steelers' defense never quite looked the same after the Devin Bush injury last season. Now, it sounds like they expect him to be ready to go for week one. What are you he- hearing about his recovery?
0: Yeah, Devin Bush, he's he's ready to go. He's been on the practice field going through individual drills. He was there throughout minicamp going through it with the linebackers. And he looks good. He looks quick. He's cutting well. He looks fast. He hasn't lost any of that athleticism that he's known for. So Devin Bush looks very good. He's working back right now, you know, just gaining confidence in that knee, kind of pulling weights to, to feel out that that knee and kind of how to cut on it and, and what weight he can put on it. It's, it's, a, it's a mental game now for him. I think that knee is looking really strong for Devin Bush, and the Pittsburgh Steelers should expect him to be ready for week one. They won't push him past the point he needs to go, but he's out there right now, and he looks really good.
1: Yeah, he's just a really dynamic young young linebacker, and I'm sure the Steelers are excited to get him back. I know I'm excited to see him back on the field. He's a ton of fun to watch. Now, a lot has been made of the lack of balance in the Steelers' offense last season, and most expect a bigger commitment to the running game. But what do you expect to see this fall from the offensive philosophy for the Steelers?
0: Yeah, so a lot of big changes. Obviously, Matt Canada coming in as a new offensive coordinator, so a lot more motion, play action, under center, more 12 personnel with Pat Frymuth coming in. You can expect a lot more running on this offense this year, just because Najee Harris there, obviously, they have more of a mauling O-line now with a lot of departures, Marquise Pouncey, Alejandro villain and Wave Matt Filer all gone. So they get guys like Zach Banner, Kevin Dotson, Kendra Green in there, those guys moving towards a zone scheme. They're still going to try and be physical. So you can expect a lot of runs. Najee Harris is going to get a lot of touches, perhaps upwards of 300-plus touches this year. So expect him to be heavily involved in this offense. And expect the Steelers, I think, if they can, they're going to try also to spread out defenses and try to really get explosive plays, maybe go deep more this year, see if Big Ben can open up that, that real arsenal that he didn't have last year when he was just kind of digging and dunking in the quick passing game. So they're going to go for a balance, an efficient balance, With that running game, they're also going to dice up this passing game with play action, more motion, perhaps jet sweeps. You know, everything Matt Canada is known for, the Steelers are going to try and bring out here in the 2021 NFL season. Because this might be Ben's last, and this is their big opportunity with him still here.
1: Yeah, I certainly could see that, and the play calling certainly got predictable if you will late in the year and I think it had a lot to do with the Steelers fading down the stretch but you touched on Marquise Pouncey I wanted to ask you about him the retirement of Marquise Pouncey left some pretty big shoes to fill this year at the center position so who will start at center for the Steelers this year
0: yeah I would expect that that it could be a rotation perhaps you know in the preseason we're going to see a battle B.J. Finney J.C. Hasenauer and obviously third round pick Kendrick Green but I think the most the guy who's going to start the most games is going to be Kendrick Green, that the rookie out of Illinois, the third-round pick, very athletic. He's a mean guy, really gets in those trenches and tries to bury guys into the dirt. He's got strong hands. He just moves differently than everyone else at the position. Finney, Hasnauer, Haig, whoever has played there at center during minicamp, it's just different. Green just looks different. He's very smart for a rookie. He's already calling out calls. He's calling out fronts. He's really being communicative with Ben Roethlisberger already. You could tell Kendrick Green wants this starting job, especially because he is a rookie and trying to fill those shoes. He knows he has to step up big time with no Marquise Pouncey there. So I would expect that Kendrick Green, in a zone scheme, in a scheme that really is geared towards athletic players, I would expect Kendrick Green to be the starter. They drafted him for a reason, and they'll see if he can fill those shoes with Marquise Pouncey. He's obviously a guy that played more guard than center, in college, although he does have center experience, but he's making that full-time transition to center in the Pittsburgh Steelers offense. So it's going to be an adjustment for Green, but I think he's got the most upside in that room, and I also think he's the best fit in the Canada offense.
1: Yeah, I think that's interesting, and I'm pretty high on Green as well. I think he was a great value pick where they got him in the third round, and I actually heard an interview he did, I believe with SiriusXM recently, where they were asking him about the guard center and which one he liked, and he actually said he likes playing center more than guard, so I think that obviously plays well if he is going to transition full-time to center. Now, the Steelers appeared to have found a steal in the second round, draft pick from last year chase claypool but he's still a young player does chase claypool become the number one wide receiver option in pittsburgh this year
0: yeah it all depends on how claypool rounds out his skill set right he's a guy who's six foot four runs a four four two very much a build-up speed guy but he can burn you deep he's a mismatch he can move into the slot play outside at the zx whatever wherever you want him to play this guy's a mismatch a height weight speed type of mismatch we know that. That's what he was last year. He's a guy that could break the game open. He could get big plays. He was their explosive element. But if he wants to become more explosive, he's got to get two things down. He's got to defeat press coverage better. When teams got physical with him at the line of scrimmage, especially the Buffalo Bills, you saw that in that game when he was going up against Trey White, Teron Johnson, Levi Wallace, Josh Norman, those guys, they really, really stuck him in. and He didn't get much down the stretch really at all because teams started playing press coverage against him. So he needs to work on that, and then he also needs to work on his routes. He needs to become a little bit more technically sound, a little less rounded routes, more sharp, get some more consistent separation down the field. He knows how to stack guys deep, but he's got to be able to create that line of scrimmage and also get those nuances at the top of the route down. So I think if Claypool can take that step forward, he's got the wide receiver one upside. It's just all about, does he take that step forward? If not, you're probably going to see a similar idea to what happened last year where You had a lot of targets for Claypool still, but also Juju Smith-Schuster and and Deontay Johnson obviously carve out a large role in that offense. But if Claypool could take that step, he'll undoubtedly be the wide receiver one, and they won't be able to take him off the field.
1: Yeah, you brought up Deontay Johnson. It's a perfect segue here because I wanted to ask you about him. He seemed like he was everyone's pick to break out last season, but instead he led the league in drops, was kind of disappointing were we all just too high on him, or does he bounce back and have a big year?
0: Yeah, I think it's, with Deontay Johnson, it's a, it's a tough evaluation because he has the most valuable skill in football at receiver, and that is separating. Not all guys can separate like Deontay Johnson. Not all the guys can run routes like Deontay Johnson. They can't move around the formation like Deontay Johnson. They can't do all of that, and they can't be dangerous after the catch either. So this is a guy that can get you know, those jet sweeps, those manufactured touches, he can run curl routes, he can beat you deep on a go, he can kill you on slants, obviously, double moves, all that stuff. He's he's just great at the nuances, everything before the catch point. And you can just see it. I mean, it, it's just his hands. I mean, he has proper catch technique, catches it away from his body with his hands. He just doesn't have very good hands. And, you know, he's been working with a tennis ball machine. He bought a tennis ball machine. Uh, try to improve his focus because that's what he felt was the biggest issue. Not that his grip strength was the problem. He thought it was his focus. He always thought about what he was doing after the catch before he caught the football. And I think that's a good strategy to have where you have, you know, you know what you're going to do in the open field, but you got to be able to focus it in. So hopefully that tennis ball machine helps him really focus on it, just catching those tennis balls. It's obviously a smaller target. And then when theoretically, when you get to footballs, It'll be able to help, but I don't think you know anyone was too high on Deontay Johnson. I think he had every single trait you look for in a top-tier wide receiver. It's just the hands have to get better, and how much does that draw him back? He can't have 15 drops again upwards of that. You know, He might still have six, seven drops this year, but the Steelers can live with that. He just can't be dropping two balls a game at his volume, especially when he was the preferred target of Big Ben Roethlisberger last year. Deontay Johnson has to be better at the catch point this year because everything before that point and everything after that point, he's a phenomenal football player.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. When you watch him, the skill set jumps off the TV screen. I think if he can uh, limit those drops like you talked about and if it's focus or, or working on his technique if those type of things, if he can improve, I still think he could be a candidate as a breakout player again this year. Now I want to shift back to the defensive side of the ball with Steven Nelson and Mike Hilton gone and the Steelers, not addressing the position in the draft who steps up in this secondary.
0: Yeah, this is going to be a very interesting topic of discussion. I mean, James Pierre, the UDFA last year out of Florida Atlantic. He was great on special teams, played very sparingly. I think he played 30 snaps all season, at least in the regular season played a little bit actually in the dime package, in the playoff game against the Browns and was targeted and broke up a pass targeted to Rashard Higgins, he'll be the guy that's asked to step up, especially in those nickel and dime packages. Cameron Sutton's going to be the starting boundary guy. The Steelers did bring him back because they knew what he could do. He could play inside, play as that dime guy, play outside, out on the boundary with Joe Hayden. So when they're just going with four DBs, it'll be Sutton there. But obviously when they go nickel and dime, I would expect Sutton to kick back inside to the nickel spot They'll bring Pierre in, but you also have to wonder, you know, who's going to be the fourth, the, the 60B in that dime package. Who is it going to be? Is it going to be an Antoine Brooks, maybe a Trey Norwood even? I mean, we're talking about guys. Antoine Brooks was a fifth-round pick last year, and Trey Norwood was a seventh-round pick this year. They're also giving, you know, looks to guys like Mark Gilbert and Shakur Brown, who are UDFAs this year, and Arthur Ballette, who was a, obviously a signing from the Jets. Um, he's a guy that can play safety and corner, as can Norwood. So it's going to be a question of who can step up on that inside just as much as who can step up on the outside. I think Pierre is the obvious candidate for the for the outside here, but who can step up on the inside when Sutton you know, is maybe hurt or who can be that dimebacker for them? That's going to be a question. Right now it looks like it's going to be Brooks for right now because the Steelers like that blitzing type of guy. You know, Mike Hilton, the physical, the, the mini mighty guy kind of who can just take on – who plays like a linebacker essentially. That's what Mike Hilton can do. And that's kind of what Brooks does. So I would expect Brooks to step up into that role, at least get the opportunity to be that guy first. But who knows? They could add a guy here potentially. But I think that Pierre is going to be the definite guy on the boundary there. So sticking
1: with the defense here, Nick, last season the Steelers' defense was once again the NFL's best pass rushing unit. But they have lost some players going into into this year. How much of a drop-off, if any, will we see from this defense?
0: Yeah, I mean, that's that's the question. And, you know, getting Devin Bush back is going to be a big boon for them. I think Alex Highsmith's going to step into the Bud Dupree role pretty well. I think Highsmith played really well at the end of last year after Dupree tore his ACL. So I don't think you can expect too much of a drop-off there. The D-line's back. They should be really good there as well. But, again, the issue is going to be that secondary. You know, does Joe Hayden fall off? He's now 32 years old. Can Sutton transition full-time to outside? Can Pierre play well when he has to come in in sub-packages? Can they get a consistent Dimebacker presence? That's kind of going to be the thing. I think their linebackers, their safeties, and their D-line are going to be very good. I really do. I think that's going to be really unchanged. They brought back Vince Williams. You know, Spillane played well at linebacker last year. So that's a nice duo to complement what you get from Devin Bush. And then Terrell Edmonds and Minka Fitzpatrick, they're a pretty solid duo. I think Edmonds, although he got his option declined, I think he's grown into a competent starter and he, he has more potential to grow. He was that raw coming out of Virginia Tech. So it's really going to be, can this coverage unit step up big time? Uh, if they can't, yeah, there will be a lot of regression. I think they'll be good this year, though. I think they will. I think Pierre is going to play decently well. I don't think you're going to see a ton of regression. I think this is still going to be one of the better defenses in the NFL. I might not be as good as it was in 2019 or even last year uh, when you saw them at full strength before the Bush injury. But I think it will be better than what it was at the end of last year, and I think it'll be somewhere in between that middle ground there. So this should be a pretty good defense this year still.
1: Yeah, you mentioned a player that I wanted to touch on a little deeper here. We know outside linebacker Bud Dupree is now with the Tennessee Titans, and his replacement is second-year player Alex Highsmith, a young guy from a small school. What do you expect from him now that he'll be starting?
0: Yeah, Highsmith is a guy that when he's starting, and when you saw last year what his weaknesses were, It was the power game. He didn't really have a power move. At the point of attack in that run game, he got pushed around a little bit by bigger, burlier tackles. So he needed to add a little bit of muscle, and he did. He bulked up this year, so he's going to hopefully add a bull rush. He's hopefully going to add some more power at the point of attack to be a better run defender on the edge, set that edge really well. Um, That's kind of what Highsmith has to do. I mean, that's the big thing. He's got a very good array of pass rush moves already. Uh, very advanced pass rush moves that that for a rookie and a second-year player. I mean, he's a guy that has the athletic tools. He's he's very athletic. He's explosive off the snap. Got a great first step. So He's very intelligent. He can move off coverage. I mean, he's, he's a guy that can do a lot of different things. I think you can expect Ty Smith to play really well. I really do. I think he's a breakout candidate as a pass rusher this year. He's advanced. He's already improved. Again, he's added muscle. He's a guy that, while he might not be what Bud Dupree was last year, and that was a really good football player, he may come close to that and perhaps even become better than Dupree down, down the stretch, maybe not this year, but next year or the year after. So Highsmith's a guy that I think is really going to be productive, and he's going to be a guy that defenses are going offenses excuse me, are going to have to respect because I know they're going to obviously slide to T.J. Watt's side, but they're going to learn to respect Alex Highsmith because I think Highsmith really is quite a good player.
1: Yeah, I'm excited to see what he can do as well, because like you said, last year when he when he filled in for some spots, he actually played at a pretty high level. So I'm excited to see what he can improve on this year as well. And I wanted to we touched on some players already, but I wanted to take a deeper look here at the Steelers draft. This is a team that historically drafts really well. But what did you make of this year's draft class for the Pittsburgh Steelers?
0: I mean, I think their draft class is one that signals they're all in on this year, right? I mean, they draft a running back and Najee Harris. That's a short-term pick. They draft Pratt Frymuth at tight end. It's going to fit Mack in his scheme really well. They, they addressed the O-line in rounds three and four, but, you know, a lot of people think that they should have done it earlier. If they went for the long-term rule, I think they would have gone O-line first, maybe even second. Um, but they go running back tight end. So I think this is a team that, they're all in this year, and I think they got a talented group of players. So I think Najee Harris is going to be a really good player. I think Pat is going to be a good player. I like Kendrick Green, Dan Moore, a little raw, but he has a lot of upside. Um, and you you look at their day three pick too. I mean, Quincy Rocher I think has an opportunity to play legitimate snaps this year um, as the edge three, perhaps that top rotational guy off the bench. Um, Trey Norwood has looked really good. He's fighting for that you know that maybe slot roll, that dime roll um in this off in this defense so I think Trey Norwood has a chance to be something and Presley Harvin as well um might have a chance to be something as the punter he's one of the better punters I think to come out recent memory he was always booming punts at Georgia Tech I think he's going to be a nice addition to this team as well so I like what they did in the draft but again it's going to become a question of positional value not really if the players are good I think you're going to get good players out of this draft it's more so going to be, should they have dressed the O-line? Because if they if those tackles don't hold it up in a core for a banner, I think we're going to look back on this draft with, yeah, they're good players, but you could have gotten someone better.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great point. And you're the first person that really touched on the fact that it looks like they're all in for this year. And when you think of it in that scope, it makes so much sense because you've got one more year with Ben, maybe two, but let's face it, we know that it's coming to an end for Roethlisberger. So why not try to make another title run while you've got your Hall of Fame quarterback still under center, so I re- that really makes sense when you put it into those terms, getting a big-time running back to try to bring that balance, getting a tight end, and getting some of these guys that can make an impact day one, so it definitely makes sense, and I understand why people were critical of not taking offensive linemen earlier, but I like some of the later picks like we touched on with Green, and, and I think they got some value there, so I'm pretty high on what Pittsburgh did, and I think it'll be exciting to see what they do this year because they're a little under the radar here in a deep AFC North. What do you expect from the AFC North? Can they be a contender in this division? It kind of I'm, I'm guessing you kind of think they can be.
0: Yeah, I absolutely think they can be. Listen, you can never rule out a team with Ben Roethlisberger and Mike Tomlin out, period. But regardless, I think the team has talent on it. Again, I think the defense is going to be relatively solid this year. I don't think that DB room is going to be a complete disaster because I think James Pierre really has that demeanor, that skill set where you look, he could step up. I think Highsmith, as we talked about, is going to be big. Devin Bush looks good, and on offense, I mean, they surrounded Ben with a hopefully a competent running game. They overhauled the scheme. They have a new offensive line coach. They gave him more weapons in Harris and Frymuth. Everyone returns. They re-signed Juju Smith Schuster. And, you know, Deontay, Johnson, James, Washington, Chase Claypool get another year. Eric Ebron's back on a lower contract. They put a void year on his deal. So he's back. So everyone's back there. It's really going to be that O-line. I think the O-line's the X-factor on this team. Can Green step up at center? Can DeCastro return to form? Can core form Banner play well? If they can, if they can play even at a league average level, I think you can see Ben with a little bit of weight taken off his shoulders where he doesn't have to throw the ball 60 times a game like he did last year. I think you would see Ben settle into a groove, maybe open up that passing game down the field more, still open up underneath, make defenses back off, respect guys like Claypool deep, respect guys like even Smith-Schuster from the slide as a vertical threat, maybe not a big play threat, but a, but a guy that can rip off 30-yard chunks. You always have to respect Najee Harrison, what he does, both out of the backfield and in the backfield, so, this is a team I think that has the capability to win the North. They also have the capability to win, you know, nine, eight. They go like nine and eight, somewhere around there. But this team's definitely a contender in the North. And although the Browns look good on paper, as do the Ravens, the, the Bengals are more of a young upstart team. Probably still have ways to go, but they're coming up. But I think the Steelers still look like a team that could absolutely contend. You can never rule out this team, especially when they're an underdog and they're getting doubted. The Steelers under Mike Tom will play at their best when they are down. doubt.
1: That's a fantastic point, and I'm definitely excited to see what they do this year. But I really appreciate your time. Once again, we've been joined by Nick Faribaugh of PittsburghSportsNow.com and ProFootballNetwork.com. Be sure to go check out his work. He's got great stuff. Thank you, Nick, for your time. Really appreciate it.
0: Thanks for having me on. This is
1: great. All right, that's going to do it for today's episode. Really hope you enjoyed it, PGF Nation, and we'll catch you next time.
0: Thanks for listening to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Twitter at PGFPodcast.